Thank you, Jesus. It is during this time of year that we celebrate our Savior. It's during this time of year that we are thankful for his birth, the fact that he came to save us. And there's no better thing we can do to say thank you. We are cleansed and saved and sanctified today because at some point, almost 2,000 years ago, he chose to come and look like us, the God of boundlessness, an infinite creator, took on our form, our brokenness, our dirtiness, our limitations, and he came to save us. Aren't you glad for that today? Isn't he so good to us? Thank you, Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. It is December 1st. We are a couple days after Thanksgiving. We are now officially into the quote-unquote Christmas season. My wife is not happy with me because the Christmas lights aren't up yet. I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's only a couple days past Thanksgiving. This should have been up apparently a week ago. Everybody knows that, right? Christmas lights are supposed to be up at least a week before Thanksgiving. At least if my wife has her way. And so here we are in this time of year, and it's December, and you will begin to see all kinds of holiday music playing everywhere. Our pastor already spoke of It Has Begun, the holiday rush and everything else. And along with this, hopefully, as you're traveling around and you're visiting family, as you make your way to stores, you'll begin to see some religious icons and things that we associate with this time of year, maybe nativity scenes that are set up. Mine is also not on my front porch Strike two for Desi, right? These nativity scenes that are set up, you may see stars in certain places, different slogans that remind us of this Christmas season. And I know that we are all very familiar with the Christmas story, but I want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to read once again a portion of what we call this Christmas story when Jesus came to save us. And I want to slow down just a little bit for a few minutes and look at something that we're very familiar with and Maybe, perhaps, point out a few details that we don't normally recognize. Can you go ahead and turn to my first verse? I apologize. This is not uh, cooperating. Thank you. We're going to read out of Matthew for just a few short verses, a passage that we are all very familiar with. And if we read it too quickly, we go, oh, three wise men. I know that story. Do we? Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, somewhere during that period, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is this newborn king, notice that word, king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Next verse. King Herod was deeply disturbed. Who's disturbed? The current king. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this 
is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So it's been up for a while. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And everybody believes that, right? Yeah. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And you can leave that verse up. So let's stop here for just a second. I read this publicly. I'd encourage you to go back and read this story again sometime this week and read it slowly. This is a story that's very familiar to probably all of us, if not most of us. This story of these, what we call these three wise men who come to see Jesus. Greek word there, magi, wise men, something along these lines, perhaps astrologers. These men from the east, these learned men who knew to look at the stars, which was common in pagan practices, and try to determine something about the future. And here we are, ironically, and God says, I can work with that. And so the pagan astrologers, they're looking to the stars, and in the stars they see the birth of this new king, the king of the Jews. And they begin to travel, and there's no freeways, and there's no highways, and they're making their way to Jerusalem, and this is not an overnight trip. This takes them some time, and some time doesn't mean a few days. It means at least a few weeks, minimum of a few weeks, and they make their way to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? It's the capital of Israel. Of course, kings live in Jerusalem. There's a new king in this land. They want to go see this king, and so they travel to the capital city, and when they arrive, it's not three guys in ornate robes on camels making their way through a street in Jerusalem. I know that looks really cool on a Christmas card, but that's not what's going to happen. First off, they're carrying abundant wealth, and you don't travel hundreds of miles through the desert with just three people carrying lots of wealth. There's a whole entourage, okay? They have servants and attendants and other people, probably bodyguards, other people traveling with them. So it's not three. How many wise men? We have no idea. Scripture doesn't say that detail is not important. They have three different kinds of gifts. And so we often associate that with three wise men. But this group of people, these foreigners from somewhere else, show up into the city. And it gets lots of attention. Of course it does. It gets lots of attention when this whole entourage shows up into the city. And they make their way to the current king, King Herod. And they ask the current, watch this, they ask the current king, where is the new king? (laughs) 
probably not the wisest move for these wise men. But they asked the current king, where is the new king? Perhaps, to their credit, perhaps they thought that Herod had recently given birth to a son. They don't know. And so they have shown up, and, and Herod had multiple sons. Maybe he has just given birth to another son, and he has a new heir, and this one is to be the next king. And it says Herod is deeply disturbed. No kidding. A whole entourage shows up from some other nation. You imagine today if some foreign dignitary showed up on a private jet with a whole entourage of people, made their way to the White House, and asked our president, so who's the new president? Okay, Herod is deeply disturbed when these men show up with their entourage asking where the new king is. And so he calls a private council with all of the religious leaders. And he asks them, what new king? And they tell him, well, according to the prophecy, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a village six miles south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital. That's why they went there. This is where kings are. Bethlehem is a village, and it's six miles south of Jerusalem. And so then he has a private meeting with these wise men, and I'm going to unpack this a little more in a moment, but he has a private meeting, and he says, you, you go find this new king, and when you find him, you come back and tell me so I can worship him too. <laughs> this is not real. If you do a little study later on, Read about this Herod. There's a Herodian dynasty. This is the first Herod. So there's multiples, and it's him and his sons successively and his descendants. This Herod was a bloodthirsty, cruel man who became, quote-unquote, king by taking it by force. He probably did not have any actual Jewish birthright right to be this king. And he took it by force, and he had no problem executing lots of people whenever he had any sort of trouble. Herod was so vicious that he murdered at least one of his wives, at least three of his sons, and plenty of other court officials anytime he thought someone might be a threat to his kingship. So where's the new king, Herod? You tell me, and I'll go worship him too. There's an often quoted phrase about this king. We don't know if it's true. I wish it was true. We can't prove it. Even if it's not true, it certainly rings true. Caesar once said of King Herod, better to be his pig than his son. Now, the Romans are not known for their kindness. And if the king of the Romans is looking at this puppet king of the Jews and say, you're better off being his pet than his child, that tells you how kind King Herod is. You tell me where this new king is so I can go and worship him too. So the wise men leave, and it says this star guided them. Now, go out in the night sky and look up. Those stars are not close. And you can navigate by the stars. You don't navigate by the stars six miles south. And you don't navigate by the stars six miles south to a specific house. Okay, so something has happened with this star, and we don't know. It doesn't give us all the detail. But this star is not 
hundreds of thousands of miles up in the sky, at least not at this point. It says the star guided them to the location where he was. So this star, this bright light, whatever it is, some supernatural occurrence by God is now guiding them. And it's got to be lower to the ground if they're following it. And they follow this star from this city to a village. And this star is low enough and bright enough, whatever it is, that they can figure out the location, not just in a village, but which house, which dwelling to go to to find this king. And they show up, and it says they worship him. First thing they do when they find this new king, they worship him. And then they open their presence. And we have gold and frankincense and myrrh. And at least half of you have this question in the back of your mind. Brother Desi, what is the significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? So, you ready? I'll go ahead and tell you this morning. You're not going to like my answer, though. The significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh is we don't know. (laughs) If we're fair, they're rich, wealthy gifts. They were common gifts for kings. This is not unique to Jesus. It was a very common type of gift that you gave to a king. There are archaeological records from the same time period of gifts to other kings. You ready for this? Of gold, frankincense, myrrh. Is there some spiritual significance to it? You can read all kinds of websites that will tell you what these mean. We can't prove any of it. Here's the reality. Whether they have some spiritual symbolism or not, these are gifts you give to a king. This was the proper gift you gave to a king. And so these men from a foreign land show up and they find this child. And some time has passed. He's not a newborn. There's not sheep and cows around him. He's not in a cave somewhere. At this point, he might even be a toddler. But they find this new king and they give him gifts that you give to a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they worship him. And then when they're done, they are warned in a dream and they leave a different route. So let's unpack this just a little bit further. And if you'll stay with me for about 10 more minutes, I'm not going to preach long this morning. There are three things I want to point out from this story. And there are so many more. But God said, no, limit it to three. I don't want to overwhelm you today. But if you remember nothing else, remember these three things as we look at this story. And I would encourage you to go back and read it again later this week and read it slowly, one verse at a time, and pause and think about it. what it says. Think about the details in that verse. What would have to happen for that to take place? And go ahead and put up my first point. Point number one, those truly looking for the king are seeking him to worship. Matthew points this out twice at the beginning of chapter 2 and then once again when they arrive and they actually see the Christ child. They explicitly said that they had showed up looking for the king not to honor him, not to congratulate him. They didn't show up for the king to make some new peace treaty to align their nations. It explicitly says we have come to worship him. These foreigners... These outsiders who are not part of this nation have traveled all this distance at great expense, not just the gifts that they're bringing, but the expense of the travel and their whole entourage and everything else, and they have come to a foreign land far from home. This whole trip probably took them months, you think, round trip. This is no easy small task. And they have shown up to worship this king. You don't worship every king. 
Even if they were pagan and they believed in multiple deities, we don't know. But you don't worship every king. And they have come to worship this king. And we can learn a lesson from this. When you encounter the king, people who are really looking for the king, King Jesus, you come to worship. You cannot come because it's a curiosity. You cannot come because it's something new you want to try out. Check out these Christian people and see what they are. Oh, you can come and observe. And to any guests who are here, you are always welcome. And we want you to come and be with us. But when you really want to encounter the king, you come to worship. And worship involves sacrifice. Worship involves submission. Worship says, I am not in charge. Worship says, I am releasing things to you. Go back and read it later. It says, when they found the king, they bowed down. They submitted themselves. These are foreign dignitaries. These are wealthy people. These are not poor peasants from some other land. These are people of power themselves. And here is an infant or a small toddler somewhere under the age of two. And they find this child. And they were filled with great joy when they found this child. And they bowed down. And they worshipped him. And this isn't a head bow. It's this kind of bow. And these men of power and influence, these men of dignity, they find a real king. And they're there to worship. And they're there to bow down. And they submit to this king because he's greater than them. It doesn't matter that he's an infant or a small toddler. He is greater than him. And they recognize it. It doesn't matter if they understand. It doesn't matter if they know what he's going to do. It doesn't matter if they know where he's going, what his future holds. They know that they are now in the presence of a real king. And when you encounter the king, that's the proper position. When we encounter the king of kings, we must come with an attitude of worship. It's a posture physically, but it's also a thing in the heart and in the mind It says, I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. I don't have to know what's going on. I don't have to have the answers. And I don't get to dictate to you the terms because he's king. This isn't Jesus is my boyfriend. Jesus is my personal counselor. This isn't Jesus is the token machine that I put something in. And then when I praise him a certain way, he gives me an X output. This is king. And kings demand loyalty. And kings deserve worship. And they found the king. And so these great wealthy men of power and dignity and influence have prostrated themselves before this baby, before this small toddler, because he's the real king. And they understood something about kings and submission. But they didn't just submit. It makes it very clear twice in this passage. They came to worship. They recognized him. I hope they recognized him as the God. At a minimum, they recognized him as a God. Again, we don't know if these foreigners were pagans who worshiped multiple deities, but whatever it was, they recognized they were in the presence of a real king and they came to worship. And likewise, when we come to Jesus, it must be with a posture of worship. It must be with submission and it must be with obedience. It must be with a release Part of worship is a release that says, I don't have to understand. I don't have to know. I don't have to be in control. I give it back to you. You're king, not me. 
Whatever you want, God. You're king, not me. Point number two. There are false kings everywhere. There are false kings everywhere. They show up in town. They don't worship Herod. They don't bring Herod gifts. They come looking for the new king, the real king, the right king. And Herod is deeply disturbed. But go back and read that verse again later. It's not just Herod. It says, so was all of Jerusalem. Herod's not the only one upset by this entourage that's shown up looking for the real king. The whole city's in an uproar. Why aren't they looking for the real king? What did they miss? These men are messing with things. They're disturbing the status quo. Everything's all messed up once they arrive because they're looking for a real king. And just the fact that they're there says you're not the real king. So now everybody's faced with a choice. Do we keep with the status quo? Do I keep with what I know? And nobody loved Herod. Herod was not a loved man. At his death, he commanded that multiple other nobility be executed so that way there would be a reason for mourning. In defiance to his orders, they actually let a bunch of people out of prison when King Herod died. And there was celebration throughout the city of Jerusalem. This is how much King Herod was loved. But even as awful as he was, it's what they knew. See, I got to do something different when I'm in the presence of a real king. I can't keep acting the same way. I can't keep doing the same thing. And these men show up, and they've just disrupted the whole political system because they're there looking for the real king. You know what fascinates me in this story? Go back again. Read it later. He, being Herod, has a private meeting with all the religious leaders. These are the people in the know. These are the people who should know where to look, who should know what's going on. And he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? See, even Herod, and that's the first time that word shows up. Read the story slowly. Herod's the one who asks, where's this Messiah to be born? Where's this Savior supposed to come from? And the religious leaders tell him in Bethlehem, and then they quote two passages from the Old Testament. And so then he meets privately with these wise men, and he asks, when did you first see this star? He's trying to figure out how long ago this boy was born, you know, so he can go worship him. Yeah. And then read it slowly. It says, the wise men went on their way, and the star guided them to the place in Bethlehem. Who goes to Bethlehem? It's the wise men. Who knew where to look? It's all the religious leaders. The wise men came to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. See, they've disrupted the status quo. The people in charge, they know where they should be looking. But go read the story again. It's these wise men who then travel to Bethlehem to find the child, not the high priest, not the Sanhedrin. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not all the scribes, not the teachers of religious laws. It's the foreigners who don't even know where to look, who show up asking, where can I find a king? They're the ones who keep searching. Where's everybody else? Still in Jerusalem. 
still creeping around an extremely violent man who would execute people at the drop of the hat if he thought they were plotting against him. You know what that tells me? They're all scared to go look for this real king. They're not going to Bethlehem. Those crazy idiots from somewhere else can go get themselves killed. You go find that boy in Bethlehem. See, there are false kings everywhere. All kinds of things that will distract you. All kinds of things that will draw your attention away. Often without realizing it, we worship, we submit ourselves to false kings. And when God shows up, it disrupts the status quo and things can't be the same because now you're faced with a choice in your life. Either something has to change or I don't go look for the real king. And in this story, it's the foreigners, it's the outsiders who are looking for the king, not the people who know what they're doing, not the people who know where to look, not the people who are in charge, not the people who are in authority. It's the outsider who's asking all the questions, and it's the outsider who travels to Bethlehem, and it's the one who doesn't belong who goes and worships and submits themselves to a real king. There are false kings everywhere, but those who are truly looking for the king, they will let that spirit guide them. For them, it was this star, this bright light, whatever it was. It was already some sort of supernatural occurrence that they saw way up in the stars, but now that they're close, <laughs> they just got a little bit further to go. They've almost got there. This bright light, whatever it is, says, keep following me. I'll lead you there. You're almost there. You're just six miles away. And I'll lead you to the spot. It didn't just lead them to Bethlehem. It said it led them to the place where he was. So those who are really looking for a king... And they're willing to let their life be disrupted. And they're willing to do something different. That spirit will guide you. And it will keep guiding you until you get in his presence. And it will keep drawing you until you find what is real. Jerusalem was close, but it wasn't quite right. They needed to go a little further. They needed to get away from the bright lights of the big city, if you will. And they found it in a village just six miles down the road. And if you're really looking for a king today... He'll keep guiding you until you get to the right spot. But there are false kings all around you, and you got to push them aside and keep going. And then point number three. Once you encounter the king, you shouldn't leave the same way you came. These wise men show up in Bethlehem, and it says they worship him, and then they present their gifts to him, the kind of gifts that are worthy of a real king. But then they're warned in a dream and they return home a different way. Keep in mind, all main roads run through Jerusalem. It's not three dudes on a camel. It's a whole entourage of people. Herod's waiting for them to return. Herod had a military garrison on a cliffside that overlooked Bethlehem. It's entirely possible that he had quietly spread out word and he was kind of keeping tabs on where they were. And God warned them, they probably left at night. Again, I'm reading a little between the lines, but they were warned in a dream to leave a different route. This different route meant that they had to go way out of their way because all main roads come through Jerusalem and they are not to encounter that false king again. So they can't go back the same way they came. They can't go back the easy road. They can't go back the main road. They can't go back through the big area 
They're going to have to go away a different way. Likely, they had to travel very, 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 very south and then begin to swing east in order to avoid Jerusalem, the military garrisons, and everything else that was going on there. You know what this means? It means their trip home is slower. It means it takes longer. It means it's not as convenient. It doesn't matter. They found a real king. And once you find the real king, you can't leave the same way you came. Once you encounter the real king, your life cannot remain the way it is. If you're willing to worship, if you're willing to recognize him as king, then once you have that encounter, things have to be different. Can't keep going back to the same places. Can't keep doing the same thing. Can't do what's easy anymore. Because easy leads to death. You know what happens if they come back to Herod? They're going to die. And God loved them enough that he warned them, no, you go home a different way. You've encountered me now, so things have to be different. They will be harder. It will cost you something. It will take longer, but it will be better, and in the end, it will save your life. And so when you encounter a real king, you can't leave the same way you came, and you can't do what's easiest and what you know anymore. Things have to be different. And so as we come into this Christmas season, I told you I wasn't going to go long. You can go ahead and stand. As we think on this Christ child, whether you have been a servant of Christ, a disciple of Christ your entire life for many years, or this is new to you, most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with this story, but we read it too fast. I encourage you, go back again and read it this week. And if you get nothing else out of this, Remember that wise men still seek a king. Not just wise men, let me be fair, the wise. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Those of us who really want to encounter a king. Those of us who are really looking for him. Whether you're brand new to this or you've been doing this for a long time, you have to come with an attitude of worship. You need to remember there are false kings everywhere. But if you're really looking for him, he'll keep drawing you. He'll say, come a little further. You're close, but not quite. If you've been a part of the sanctuary, you've heard the last few weeks as we've been talking about spiritual allergies, as we've been talking about transformation and other things, is the Spirit drawing you saying, you're close, but you need to come about six miles south. You're almost there, but I got a, I got a little more for you. Will you keep stepping towards me? False kings are everywhere, but if you really love him, if you're really here to worship, he'll keep drawing you till you find him. And then once you encounter him, you're faced with a choice. You can't leave the same way you came. And you may have to make this decision more than once. It may happen multiple times in your life. That's a lifestyle of repentance and submission. It's something that's ongoing. But you can't leave the same way you came. You go back the easy road and it will lead to your death. But he loves you enough that he says, now that you've met me, follow my guidance. I will keep you safe. It will cost you something. It will take time. But if you'll follow me, I'll get you where you need to go. So now as I come to a close, as we begin this Christmas season, as you will, can we take a little time? Can we talk to this king? If you're new to this and you don't know what to say, you're welcome to come down here and ask one of us to pray with you. You're welcome to stay in your pew. It doesn't have to be complicated. You just talk to this king and say, God, are you real? He's okay with that. If you are, will you guide me? Will you let me hear your voice?
And for the rest of us, can we do a little introspection and check how we're living? Are we coming to worship today? Are we coming to do something different and let the Spirit guide us? Are we willing to leave different than the way we came in? And so whether you want to pray in your pew or you want to come up here and pray for a while, let's take a few minutes and let's talk to the King of Kings, the real King, and ask him, what is it that you have for me? As I come to you today, help my attitude and my heart and my mind to be pure. Let me come with an attitude of worship, Lord. You continue to guide me. Don't let me leave the same way. Heavenly Father, I... I need you in my life, and I, I need it to be more than a one-time encounter. I need you to change me and keep talking to me. Help me to be wise like the men in these stories who are seeking a real king. Help me to listen to the guidance that you're giving. If I need to go just a little further, keep speaking to me and drawing me. I don't want to make it to Jerusalem and be close and not quite there. Oh, Jesus, help me to get to Bethlehem.